You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek Discovery, brought to you by the StarQuest Podcast Network and our many generous supporters. Captain Burnham, a face I thought I'd never see again in the flesh. Hello, Pippa. Did you miss me? We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. That's who I am. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek Discovery, where we will discuss the deeper layers and meaning in the second half of the first season of the hit new show, Star Trek Discovery. Uh, today, we're discussing uh, the, that whole second half, the last six episodes, uh, so it's not exactly a half, uh, of that first 15-episode season. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very good. Uh, I want to begin again, as we did in the last time we discussed Star Trek Discovery, um, <clears throat> with a content warning. Uh, Star Trek Discovery contains some mature content related to matters of a sexual nature, uh, which may or may not come up as we discuss uh, this. Uh, we, as we discuss all content, we will do so from a Catholic perspective. Um, if you have small children listening, you, and you, you may not want them to be exposed to the, the content uh, of... of uh, that sort, um, you may want to listen to this later without them. Uh, so mm -hmm. I just want to throw that out there ahead of time um, and proceed with our conversation. So, gentlemen, the second half of that season of Star Trek Discovery, we we ended our first discussion with our theories about where the where the discovery ended up. Um, and and folks, if you haven't listened to that first half of this, because we're not going to really rehash it, uh, go listen to that, then come back and listen to this. And of course, we're going to have spoilers for the uh, the whole season. So uh, you know, if you don't want spoilers, come back again. Um, we had some theories at the end of uh, that first half season. Um, at, by the time of the cliffhanger. Um, so let's kind of go over how do we do on those theories. We uh, yeah. Before we were recording, Dom, you mentioned that we had some that were dead on and some that were way off. And I'm trying to think of any that were way off. At least of the theories that I had, they seem to have paid off. At least the ones I'm remembering. Maybe I'm forgetting well, something. The only one, well, so not so much way off is not not proven yet maybe i'll say that mm -hmm. uh, okay. the admiral cornwell as the re the oh, rejuvenation is yeah. uh i'm not seeing it and i don't know if we're going to see that at this point because of uh the ultimate end of lorca or maybe yeah we'll, have well, to we'll come back to lorca in a second but we'll have to right. see yeah. um we'll talk about ash and valk in a second uh that's sort of a bigger part of the bigger discussion jimmy your theory that wherever they ended up was Lorca's true home because you saw mm -hmm. him enter those coordinates in to the console right before they jumped at the end of the that episode. Um, Real uh, quick. Uh, yes. Yeah, you kind of have to you have to freeze frame it to get a clear look at it. Yeah. And you said that uh, that maybe they were jumping to Lorca's true home. That was right on the money. <laughs> that was like, that was yep. exactly what we expected uh, or what or what what ended up happening. Um, so that was a good one. Uh, any other and, theories? And suspicion it was the mirror universe. Right, right. Uh, any other theories that we were we had advanced uh, that that I'm missing? The well, it's been a while. I haven't gone back and re-listened to our previous podcast, but obviously the Ash Tyler Valk thing was something that we talked about too, and that yeah. turned out to yeah. be correct as well. So let's talk about um, Ash slash Valk, um, which I have to say. 
the actor doing his Ash Tyler voice and then doing the Vok voice so different. Oh, yes. uh, mm-hmm. And to hear that voice coming out of him uh, from that human look without the makeup and the was mm-hmm. disconcerting at, at the least and very good. Uh, what yeah. did you think of the development of Ash uh, uh, Tyler, the, the Manchurian candidate uh, character? Well, I thought it was, you know, it's one thing, you know, first of all, from a production standpoint, they did a very good job of kind of hiding that. They, yes. uh, they actually, you know, they, and of course it's, it's kind of easy to do with social media. They kind of kind of played with it a little bit where there was actually a Twitter feed from the supposed actor who played this character and that it really wasn't prosthetics, but that was his natural face. And this was the first role he could get that actually could use his natural face. <laughs> and they played it up. It was it's, it's really I think the Twitter. I never went and looked it up, but I think the Twitter feed is still out there. But they, also, you know, they, as we mentioned in our previous discussion, his name is like Persian. You could translate it from Persian as live long and prosper. Right. Yeah. It's some, yeah, it's some yeah. kind of, you know, so there's it's they, they were very brilliant with it, but it was the same actor. Um, and of course, that became clear the first time Ash Tyler uh, spoke in Klingon, where it was the same exact phrasing, the same exact voice, you know, and it's kind of funny. Uh, they you see people online, they're calling him Tyler Volk. <laughs> right mm. you know that's his name now but yeah it, it, i think they did a very good job of developing that there was um obviously there the the hints were there in the first half it was mm-hmm. you know very clear but then of course the second half they were able to develop it and then the part i didn't like is they it's almost like they excised Volk, you know like an exorcism and he was right you know, cast out that they completely cast out any trace of the Voke character. And now it's just Ash Tyler with the Voke memories is what he is now. Yeah, I didn't mind that. I guess there are several things I liked and didn't like about it. Um, I, I liked the effort at, you know, surprise, even though the fans spotted it really early. Um it's consistent with other Klingons being altered to pass as human. We've seen that before on more than one occasion in Star Trek. I like that that Volk was the kind of pilot program for this uh, infiltration mm-hmm. technique. And I, the fact that he didn't work, that they weren't able to, uh, to uh, have his identity suppressed and then brought back successfully could explain why we don't see that being used later on. Because later, when we see Klingons who've been altered to pass as human uh, via species reassignment surgery, I think that's a great name, <laughs> yep. um, that uh, they all know who they are, that we don't have further Manchurian candidates. And and it makes sense, given the, the mess-up that happened with Vogue. Okay, we'll alter them to look human, but we're not going to tamper with their memories in the same way. Um, I So I thought that was all nice. What I didn't like was the technobabble explanation for we did all these tests on you psychologically um, that would and and this is just really gobbledygook. Uh, I can't reproduce it exactly, <laughs> but but there's not a consciousness running beneath your Ash Tyler consciousness. We checked that out, and then they come in with 
Oh, but we didn't think to check for a consciousness running alongside of it. What does that even mean? <laughs> it's virtual machine. It, it, they, they, it, they installed a virtual machine. They installed virtual box on, on Volk to make Ash Tyler. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> well, doesn't this, you either know your Volk or you don't. I wonder, is this part and parcel of, I read an interesting article recently. This is, might be a bit of a tangent, but this, that we've come to approach the idea or understanding of consciousness Using the analogy of computers mm -hmm. um, to it's an a point, operating system, right to the point where it's actually causing harm to how we treat people who have illnesses and how we yeah. consider humanity. Mm -hmm. um, we are not a computer program and our mind is not a computer. It doesn't work like Correct. a computer. Um, and and to 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 use that analogy now, it, it creates problems. And so. Um, exactly. So this I think this is evidence of that sort of thinking where, uh, you know, it's like a program that runs concurrently, uh, you know, well, in, in the memory space of Tyler or something like that. Well, and that's that's where I made that's where I made the joke about VirtualBox. For those who don't right. know, VirtualBox is a mm -hmm. software package that lets you run one operating system on top of another where you've got, let's say, you know, I've got a Mac and I can run VirtualBox to run Windows on top of my Mac, where the Mac operating system is running, it's doing its thing. But then you've got this virtual box that makes Windows think it's on a completely different computer and it's running in the in its environment. And that's kind of how they make it sound like, oh, well, they install a another personality in a virtual machine on the in this person's brain so that then it. It's the one that's actually running yeah. in the front. Well, if they wanted to communicate that to the audience, they should have spent more than a single line of dialogue on it. Well, that's the thing that sort of uh, that leaves me uh, disquieted at the end of this season about Tyler is, I mean, they sort of have him on a redemption arc and he's sort of rehabilitated. This sort of mm -hmm. it's like, OK, well, now you're just Ash Tyler. And there's yeah. a couple problems with that. A. Will this will Vok ever reemerge? We don't know. Yep. This is entirely well, new ground. And now you I, have I a pot potential Klingon saboteur in your midst. I would assume that Vok will eventually reemerge in some form. Yep. Um, so apparently what we know is there was a real human Ash Tyler. Yep. And he and the and Vok got munched up together through this medical process. Mm -hmm. uh, that allowed him temporarily without a directed examination to pass as a human. So I'm assuming much of his body is really Ash Tyler. Um, otherwise, the organs would just be too different. Well, it yep. says um, they harvested his DNA yeah. um, and reconstructed Which, course, you know, his DNA consciousness. does everything. Yeah. DNA right. does everything. Well, you know? Harvested his DNA, reconstructed his consciousness, and rebuilt his memory. That's the, the line that Laurel uses. That's mm -hmm. her explanation to Saru. Um, yeah. We modified Valk into a shell that appears human. We grafted and, his psyche into Tyler's. And, and I, th I think we have to kind of accept a certain level of scientific hand waving here. Yeah. Given the, what they've already established on the show. I mean, the idea of humans and Vulcans breeding to begin with is preposterous, but that's been there from the beginning. Right. Um, but uh, in terms of uh, things that I liked about this, um, I liked that um that th that it didn't succeed that this was a flawed attempt i liked that his feelings for burnham apparently played a role in foiling it because mm -hmm. the 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 activation prayer that Lorel says to him should have triggered and it didn't i i that created nice dramatic potential with him being torn i liked that 
And um, uh, and so I think there were things to like here. I also like the fact that when he was um, when he when Laurel did the surgery on him, that we got a not clean resolution because you wouldn't expect a clean resolution from a procedure like this. Uh, you'd expect there to be remnants of Valk, and that's what we got. Yep. I like the fact that she was willing to sacrifice Valk to save him, in a sense. Um, and even though that's a little implausible, but, you know, they set it up okay. I also like the fact that they didn't have the being torn continue in the rest of this season. Right. Because it, we've just seen him being torn. We if, if, if It just ameliorates him being torn a little bit. He's going to be useless as a character for the rest of the season. And you've already played that melody for us. It needs to rest for a while before you can bring it back. You know, one of the, the potential um, uh, story beats that, that are still out there is, is, you know, we don't know that the real Ash Tyler is dead. I mean, he Correct. may be languishing in some Klingon prison somewhere. Um, and to be to be brought out and to be presented with this dilemma, who's the real Ash Tyler? Um, I kind I feel like that's such a, a an obvious uh, potential story uh, for the future that 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 has to happen at some point. Uh, yeah, to be presented they don't, they don't make it explicit. I mean, I got kind of the impression the way they describe the procedure is that it did kill off Ash Tyler, but. That being said, you know, they don't they explicitly could. say they don't yeah. explicitly say, yeah, we we had to we had to kill him to do this. Right. On the other hand, I would tend to if I were counseling the writing staff, I'd counsel them not to do that. One, because it's much more interesting if he really is a fusion of Ash and, and Vogue. Right. Uh, fit on the physical level. But two, because this show plays heavily with bringing people back in alternate forms. And this would just be another way of doing that. We're already doing that through the mirror universe. Yep. And we don't need biomedical, too. Right, right. Uh, it in some ways it could be like the um, the, the couple of times that Star Trek uh, Voyager did this at least once, uh, where they have a, a transporter accident that merges char uh, characters, yeah. which yep, that was the worst. <laughs> I, I, that, no, that wasn't the worst. The worst was the Warp Ten episode. Well, yes, the Warp Ten episode was the worst, where they became. <laughs> I actually, actually yeah. kind of like the Tuvix episode. I, it the, the the suspension of disbelief. I mean, that's this is a whole other discussion. We'll have yeah. another time, maybe. But uh, the, time. the suspension of disbelief for me was really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> the science was like it's already hard to accept the transporter as science. It's just this other. Never mind. So, um, but speaking of mirror universe, let's move on to talking about the uh, this the, this the really the big element in this season is they went to the mirror universe, the discovery. Um, a couple of things that I had to kind of look up because my my Star Trek uh, memory was, had had been deficient in this regard was they talk about oh yes the USS Defiant went to this place um, right, and, right. and so I'm like the Defiant what I don't ever remember a Deep Space Nine episode the, where the yeah, Defiant went there well it the did, original but, TOS Defiant yeah. right uh, and, and in fact uh, it was a Star Trek Enterprise. Uh, story, <laughs> and you're like, well, Let how did this start? Uh, original Enterprise. So, a, in, there's a Star Trek Enterprise story uh, that has that is a Mirror Universe episode. It takes place entirely in the Mirror Universe with entirely mm -hmm. Mirror Universe characters, um, yeah. and a 
this USS Defiant from a Star Trek original series time period jumped back in time and across universes and ended up Correct. in the mirror universe. And that's how the first encounter uh, with the, between these universes occurred. And as I recall, it's, it's an extension of the original series episode, Tholian Web. Right. Which causes the Defiant to go back in time and go to the mirror universe, which then causes the the uh, emperor, empress, emperor, yes. they, they call it, uh, <laughs> to be able to take over the empire or create the empire. Right. Based on the, the what they, the, the technology. The advanced, the advanced firepower of the defiant i wonder if that makes the the emperor the daughter of oh what is her name the, no uh, no it sato. doesn't sato uh, hoshi sato is yeah. japanese and um oh, right and uh and captain giorgio is malaysian chinese that's right that's um right. the uh the the however they do honor hoshi's legacy because if you if you listen to the latin titles that the emperor has one of them, they don't pronounce it correctly, but one of them is Japoniensis, which um, is it's based on the Latin for Japan. Right. And so apparently, just like Augustus is part of her legacy, it's one of her titles, so is Japoniensis. And so um, they they brought, in addition to the Emperor Augustus's legacy, and they brought Hoshi's legacy in as well. Well, right. and they also, they also explicitly mentioned that Philippia became emperor by defeating the previous because she had been a captain. Mm -hmm. Right. And then, you know, right. and, that's, and of course that's, that's completely within how this, the mirror universe has been established is that you, you increased rank by killing off your immediate press or immediate uh, superior. superior. Right. And then, so, and then what happens next in the Star Trek timeline is the Enterprise with Kirk and Spock, or well, Kirk the crossover, the, the crossover, crossover with Kirk, yeah. yeah, Chekhov, Kirk, and Uhura crossover. I think it is, isn't it? Is Uhura the and one of them? Ultimately, ultimately, Kirk is the only one being torn back and forth. Right, 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 right. So, okay, um, so so the mirror universe, interesting idea um, to to kind of bring up right in that first season. You know, mm -hmm. we've in the midst of this, the Klingon human or uh, Klingon Federation war, uh, we we have this detour essentially into the mirror universe. What do you think of them sort of leaving the Klingon war uh, for this second for, say, half of this second half of the season, uh, for, you know, three or four episodes? You know, it, one one thing I kind of. I kind of thought is that the second second part of the series feels different and not just because it's mirror mm -hmm. universe, but from a production standpoint, from a writing standpoint, um, that they tried to be more conscious of Star Trek lore in the second part. And my thought, and I know I'd mentioned this to you a couple of times, Dom, is that there was an uproar about halfway through the production of the series where um, Brian Fuller had started it. He's the one who was the showrunner at the beginning. And then Kurtzman, Alec Kurtzman, who's known for the J.J. Uh, Abrams movies, took over. And 
my opinion and completely my thought is the reason why the second half feels differently is because it is. This is where, you know, is that's that halfway point is where the division occurred, the the uproar occurred and that there was kind of all from on high. There was almost a, you know, we need to tie this back into Star Trek history. And that's why they ended up in the mirror universe, because they knew that it would be fan popular the mirror universe episodes of every ep- every series that did a mirror universe episode was always one of the more popular episodes. Um, so uh, that's kind of my thought on, on that is that they did it. They did it because they, because it was a shift in the series. I, I don't have that sense from the, uh, from the reading that I've done. Um, I, I don't know all of the changes that occurred after Brian Fuller left, obviously there were some, but um, the only one I'm aware of that uh, seems to be confirmed is that they changed Lorca's character from being um, to being someone who was actually from the mirror universe Hmm. and that originally they were going to the mirror universe, but he wasn't from there and they Hmm. did that to up the drama. So I kind of think I think that always they've been they've had a a commitment to I I think fans, frankly, have been impatient and short sighted when it comes to thinking, oh, no, this is so different than anything that's come before. It doesn't match up with continuity. Give them some credit there. They need to show they're different at the beginning, less everybody Mm -hmm. has a ho-hum, been there, done that reaction. (laughs) But they will eventually provide explanations and if you, and certainly the the current showrunner Alex Kurtzman has indicated yeah we're going to we're going to have an explanation for why Spock has never mentioned his sister Michael and everything we're going to get there it's just we're not doing it all at once and my suspicion is that Fuller who is a, a long time I mean he's written for previous Star Trek iterations he's a long time Star Trek guy um and a fan my sense is that even though it's not quite what he originally planned, that it's still along the same lines, and at least this season is, and mm-hmm. that he that he also planned to provide explanations for how this all syncs up with existing right. continuity. And and as far as the the whole Klingon the continuity Klingon thing, where the Klingons are look so different from the Star yeah, Trek Klingons, we remember. That's, that's just a, I think that's just a gimme. They just wanted to do a makeup change. Well, I think a lot of maybe younger fans are don't remember, but we, right. they did that once already. They they changed mm-hmm. the Klingons uh, very drastically from the original series to the movies, Correct. and then from the movies yeah. that continued for a while. So yeah. it's not exactly uh, new news that they would do this sort of thing. Well, and that's that's one of the big uproars. Is it doesn't look like a 1960s TV show. No kidding. Well, thank you. 50 years yeah. later. I don't want it to look like a 1960s TV show. And frankly, I think Enterprise did a disservice when they made the Defiant, the Mirror Universe Defiant, look like the 1960s. They actually used a reproduction Enterprise bridge that right. fans had made. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in fact, uh, the fans have uh, made for a, a fan uh, fan films uh, that they uh, they've made of the of Star Trek. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and when Deep Space Nine did the Tribble episode, where they went back to the and they went right. they were on. I mean, I understand the the idea of we want to evoke in fans this idea, and it would be disconcerting because they wanted to show Shatner and 
uh, Leonard yeah, Nimoy in, yeah. in, in Egypt's person. So they couldn't they couldn't really change it, but but certainly Enterprise could have done something different. And and I agree with you guys, and I think we're all in agreement that um, as far as the technology that they use, we just have to accept it. Um, uh, well, we'll get to this, but I'm curious on how this will play out. Uh, the first episode of the next season, uh, right? Uh, but I've, we'll already, to, I've already. We'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll get to that because I, uh, I want to kind of hold uh, and kind of kind of follow this because I want to talk about Michael Burnham uh, and her arc here through this. I mean, this is she's really the our key character in all this. Um, she's mm-hmm. she's extremely damaged at the beginning of this uh, season. She's a traitor. She started a war. Yep. Um, the, Gabriel the first, Lorca, who the, has the first traitor in Starfleet history. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, that sounds that's a little much. But um, Lorca uh, is is recruited her for his own purposes, um, which we find out have to have everything to do with the mirror universe and nothing to do with uh, the prime universe or whatever we're calling it uh, because of the various things. But um, uh, she has a, a relationship with Ash Tyler, has to deal with his betrayal. Um, she goes, she deals with her. Um, right. So, so that's her first human experience of love because up to right. now she's been surrounded by Vulcans. Right. Right. Um, Although not really. I mean, this is one of the things that, um, Star Trek has a problem with is she's, she's a second in command. She didn't just graduate from the Vulcan Academy and become a second in command. She's obviously been on human starships for years by this point. Well, I so, think it even says that it was seven years between when she was first introduced to Captain Giorgio. Giorgio, and, yeah. And, and same, the, when the series started. So, I mean, she's been on there for a while. Right. And they they did the same thing with Data, where they pretend he's like a brand new character in the first episode of Star Trek Next Generation, when they tell us he's been part of Starfleet for like 25 years or something. And it's like, what? Why does the character development only start now? Right. Uh, or yeah, the, so, and not to mention that Burnham's mother is human, <laughs> a human living among uh, uh, Vulcans. Vulcans, yeah. you know. The, the, but in, but in, but anyway, for whatever reason, uh, Michael has never let herself have a human uh, experience of love before, and she opens herself up to Ash Tyler and has a really bad first experience. And, and still hasn't, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so to speak. Um, but she goes to, I mean, then she deals with um, her feelings, her guilt regarding the death of Captain Giorgio by having to deal with this emperor who looks just like Captain Giorgio, um, but is not most, most evidently and has to deal with those mm-hmm. feelings. Um, she goes to this redemption arc to, and mm-hmm. where at the end she's restored, basically. Right. And, and there's an interesting parallel uh, with, the beginning and the end, because in both the first episode and the last episode, she initiates a mutiny. Um, right. Initially, she initiates a mutiny to try to attack the Klingons. Then she initiates a mutiny to try to avoid attacking the Klingons. And the difference is not just the goal, but also the fact that she gets support um, in the second mutiny, where she just barreled ahead on her own in the first and tried to deceive everybody into going along with it. And so um, she's there's some character growth there in realizing that even though you do need to defy orders sometimes, you you can't just go it alone. And so there's been some character growth in that regard. Also, her ideals are now much more heavily Starfleet 
than they were. Right. Initially, she was coming from a very pragmatic Vulcan perspective, and now she's got much more of the Federation ideals that she's standing up for, which is also, some people have proposed, another big sloppy wet one for the fans of, yes, this is really Star Trek. Um, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's, it's a little... I get a little tired of having Federation ideals preached in this way. <laughs> but don't you know, the Federation is so much better than anything we are today. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I almost feel like that the, the Michael Burnham arc is the least interesting of all of them. She's the least like, I mean, she's an interesting character in, her, in herself, but yeah, I like her. And, and, yeah. and she's, the, she's our point of view, essentially. But all of these other characters that surrender are so interesting. They're so that it's mm -hmm. it's, it's almost hard to say anything about her without kind of going off into these other characters. Like, right. uh, you well, know. and th that's actually a common style of writing. Um, I mean, if you think about other programs like um, the Andy Griffith Show or the Bob Newhart Show. Andy Griffith and Bob Newhart are our central characters, and they are the most normal person in their entire environment. <laughs> Everybody else is wacky by right. comparison. Right. And and that's kind of what Michael is here, although she is a really kind of broken, normal individual, um, given her trajectory. But, yeah, she's given that, especially given that Vulcan upbringing and her emotional reserve, she is naturally kind of more not laid back, but less demonstrative. And then you have these much more emotionally complex or at least emotionally demonstrative people around her. So let's talk about, about uh, Emperor Giorgio. I want to say, you know, first, the return of Michelle Yeoh was, was brilliant. Uh, I did yeah. not expect it. That would not, I did not have that spoiled. I was disappointed after the first two episodes of the season when mm. this wonderful actress was, you know, tossed aside so quickly, like, Oh, what a lot, what a loss. Uh, and to and, have and a return. Suddenly, suddenly those first two very different episodes all make sense. Now, now we see what they were yeah. trying to do and exactly. why they're important. Exactly. And and they used her so well. I mean, oh, yeah. Michelle Yeoh kicks butt. <laughs> to say. Uh, I mean, I, I'm a, a bit of fan uh, of hers. And so there was, she just did so well as the as the emperor. I mean, she really chewed the scenery. She took command. Um, she was so evil and so good at it. Um, so yeah, there's, and there's, she is a martial a arts actress. Yes. Yeah. there. I mean, there were a number of scenes that were sincerely shocking. I mean, just like you watch, like, wow. <laughs> right, right. Eating Kelpian, yeah. Oh, that was so bad. Like, I w now when I look back at the scene where um, Giorgio, you know, says, you know, pick one of the Kelpians, and it's like, oh, yeah. what am I picking She's them for? This, yeah. Oh. She's thinking the same, so of course she points at Saru, and it's like, oops. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And then that dinner, and just to have that moment, like, oh, um, yeah, that was <laughs> Kelpie and Stew. <laughs> Ooh, it reminds me of the the, uh, the 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 Sandra Boynton book that I read to my kids. Bro broccoli stew. Ooh, um, but you know, in, an interesting character. One of the flaws was they set up the emperor as no one ever sees the emperor. No one knows what the yeah, emperor that, looks like, and then all stupid. of a sudden there was like two thousand people on the ship. I mean, that's. Yeah. And everybody knew who the emperor was. Right. And yeah. it's, it, but there was just this attempt to kind of keep uh, as a mysterious person. 
And and that's that's just they could have dealt with that in dialogue another way. They could have said the Klingon data thing was damaged and we don't have specific information about the emperor or something like that. Yeah, right. Right. Uh, So but uh, and then to bring the emperor back to uh, the prime prime universe and in such a way that nobody knows that she's that that they've kind of flipped the story, whereas Michael Burnham was pretending to be she's really dead in the mirror universe, but is pretending to Mm -hmm. be her. Now we have Philippa Giorgio, who's really dead in the prime universe. But now they have this mirror universe person pretending to be her. Um, and what a complex little moral problem, um, Starfleet recruiting this person because she's, she's figured out how to defeat the Klingons in another universe. Right. And, and, and they're so desperate that they recruit her for what's essentially a, you know, a genocidal event. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that that's kind of the, the question is like, oh, that's not really what Starfleet recruited her to do. We have this other plan, but did they really? Did they really? Did they know what she was really going to do uh, to defeat the Klingons? Um, I think they did. Yeah, I agree. I think this is sort of a when we talk about oh, the Federation is so much morally better than us. This mm-hmm. is evidence that it isn't. Well, and you know, Admiral Cornwell's reaction to um, to Michael Burnham when she stood up to her, I think, really does show that. She knew exactly what was going to happen, that this was all a setup from the beginning. Right. Otherwise, there's no more conflict. There's no need for the second mutiny. If it's like, oh, what? You mean she was going to blow up their planet? We had no idea. Obviously, we can't do that. Right. There's that great moment where, you know, Burnham shows Cornwell the simulation of what's going to happen. And Cornwell says, well, the Federation is close to defeat and we don't have the luxury of principles, (laughs) which which is another way of saying we don't have the luxury of morality. Um, and, and Burnham replies, well, principles are all that we have. We, you know, morality is all that we have to stand on. If we don't, then what's the point? We, we, we deserve to be destroyed. Yeah. And here's where I start hearing this. I mean, the been there, done that theme song playing again. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a theme that comes up often in Star Trek. This idea of, you know, um, the this the heroic Star Trek officer standing up for morality against those who would take shortcuts. But it's not a bad I mean, it's sort of well, a, a timeless it, story, isn't it? It is, but it's it's it. If you hit it too heavy, it comes off as cliche. I mean, obviously, <clears throat> fiction needs a moral structure, and that's that's part of why we experience fiction. Um, that's part of why we create it. Is it does have this moral dimension that helps prepare us for situations. In 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 the, that we one day may face in life. I mean, that's the <clears throat> that's the reason for play. It's the reason for sports. It's the reason for fiction. All of those things are immersing us in relatively safe environments to play out mm-hmm. scenarios to teach us how to deal with them on some level. And so so fiction, like everything else, needs a moral structure, just like games need rules. But um, but if you if you if you come across too heavy, it harms the art. Okay. Which is actually from Mark Twain. Mark Twain said that, you know, stories should never preach overtly, but should always preach right. covertly. Right. Okay. Well, we'll, uh, we'll take that. Um, if you, unless you have something else, uh, Father Corey? No, no, not at all. Okay. So I, I kind of want to move on. Um, we've got about uh, uh, 
pretty deep into our discussion here. I want to kind of talk about some of the other characters that we uh, are regular cast. Uh, Saru, Tilly, Stamets have interesting journeys in this in this part of the season. Um, I I started off not really liking Saru all that much as a character. The sort of he's uh, kind of bland. Yeah, and uh, you know a species that is a prey species, and it's kind of cowers all the time. I just and was you know immediately in conflict with Burnham. And I didn't understand why. And it seemed kind of odd. But he really came into his own as a character by the end of the season. Really, when he was in command of Discovery, really took command. And I liked that. Yeah. I by the he really grows over the course of the series. And I would yeah. have been happy. I mean, if you remember in the first part of the series, he's even like so insecure when he's first in charge that he's like summoning up data files on successful Starfleet captains to learn yep. from them. And later he just moves ahead confidently. It's like discovery is no longer Lorca's. She is ours. We're going for, going forward. We're going to yep. get this done. And by the end of the series, I would have had no problem with him being the next captain. And there's no guarantee he won't. That's the thing. You know, they well, say they're I, going to pick up another captain, but well, true. But unless they immediately kill off the new captain or something, <laughs> something which I don't yeah. think they're going to do. Yeah. Um, he I don't think we should expect that. But certainly, um, I mean, by the end, you know, Saru ordering fire, you know, fire on the, you know, the enemy. And, you know, and he's got the, the that interesting Calpian characteristic of the uh, the fear tentacles or whatever they call them, yep. um, ganglia, ganglia, and and the idea is it's it's a really interesting um, storytelling element because they can use that to kind of indicate something about the character that you can't see in any other mm -hmm. character. Is he afraid? Is he fearful? Is he, does he sense death is imminent? You know, and they could have those appear at different points and, and convey right. uh, part of the message that when the times when it doesn't appear. And so it's very and, interesting. And they're delicious. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Don't even want to think about it anymore. Um, so and then uh, another interesting character, um, Tilly. Uh, Tilly, yeah, oh, I love uh, Tilly in this. It, so um, one thing I, that kind of bu bugs me, but I love Tilly. But one of the things that bugs me is this, is the Star Trek um, thing that they do, where they take people who should not be in a position of authority and sort of making them central characters. Yeah. Whether it's Wesley Crusher or the J.J. Abrams Kirk, who's fresh out of the academy, being made captain, and Tilly's yeah. Tilly's a cadet. And I get yep. you know, that maybe they've thrown they're so desperate that they've thrown cadets into action, but she's doing so much that even that the regular crew doesn't do. She's sort of a Wesley. What? She she is. She's much more interesting as a character than Wesley and much more right. likable as a person and not nearly as annoying. Right. Um, <laughs> but but she does play off that same vibe. What is a student? Because that's what a cadet is. Yep. What is a student doing on the most Top secret classified research ship in the fleet in wartime. <laughs> and I mean, that makes and she has and a doing all these crucial tasks. Right, she's right like, in the middle of the of the of the project. <laughs> yeah, she's she's like Stamets's chief assistant engineer, and, yeah. and, and not particularly it, competent at it either. I mean, it would be one thing if she was like if she showed her as this genius, uh, but but yeah. but the, the 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 sort of the the unsure. Right. You, well, youthfulness is what makes yeah. her really a, a good character that we really like. But, you know, Rank, Rank right. has always been very fluid in Star Trek. You yes. Know? So, you know, again, you know, you know, of course, 
I am a, I'm a veteran. I've served in the Air Force. So in the military, at least, you know, modern day military rank is a very clear thing. You know where yeah. you stand in the hierarchy of the military. Right. In Star Trek, it's always been fluid. You know, they never actually had an enlisted class until DS9. Yes. They had crewmen you know, and chiefs. Were officers. Well, chiefs were officers. Actually, they in, made next, them, in next gen, they had some enlisted people and even they, non officers, but, non non military members on the Enterprise. Well, they they had civilians, but I mean, yeah, the but chiefs had, were never the chiefs were never explicitly considered enlisted class until DS nine mm-hmm. until they made yeah. Chief O'Brien a central character where he wasn't just the throwaway transporter chief, you know. Um, I'm, yeah, the, I'm always amazed on Star Trek by by how, how how the ridiculous liberties that first officers take. I mean, not uh, not only should captains not be on the away missions, but right. even just standing around on the bridge, this, the the first officers are just like crazy insubordinate, saying you know <laughs> issuing orders that if anybody the captain should be giving, right? And they even do that with Admiral Cornwell standing there on the bridge at one point, and she's just stunned looking at what's happened to Starbase One or whatever, and and it's Saru who says, "Get us out of here." And it's like, no, it's like the ranking officer is the one who gives the orders. Well, in one yeah. sense, it might be Saru recognizing that Cornwell is just losing it in in that scene. Yeah, but not just after a pause, not when they're not under attack. Well, wasn't right. the a Klingon approaching? That was the idea. Was the, the- I, think, I think there was there was mm-hmm. it was it, that was one situation where I thought it was appropriate where they were under attack. She was locked up. He he knew he needed to respond now, but your your the larger point, Jimmy, is is correct that in in Star Trek they often do take vast liberties with the chain of command and um, and I know that Gene Roddenberry's approach was I mean he was an Air Force veteran as well and 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 so he understood um, ranks and things, like that. but I think his original and threw intent, them all out it, yeah yep. was originally to to kind of make it loosey gooseyer. Um, well, they were originally Starfleet wasn't supposed to be a military organization. They were using military rank structure, but it wasn't. They weren't actually right. A military. Right, and then well, I, I think in the original series, I think they were, um, and then in the next gen, they decided to pretend oh, we're explorers, not military. Yeah, yeah, the balance kind of varied as through the series, the various series. Um, while, while we're talking about uh, Tilly, though, yep. um, not only is her role in the Prime Universe implausible, but her role in the Mirror Universe is implausible. As much as, as Captain Killy is a fun idea, and as yeah. much as I'm sure we're going to meet her in the second season, um, <laughs> because no nobody not dead. Right. Um, yep. The uh, uh, it's just it's implausible that this person who's a cadet and are even with the assassinate your superior thing, the idea that she at her age would have been a successful captain uh, is is very implausible. They should have just made Tilly from the from the start like a lieutenant or something and just be done with it. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then still a little implausible, not nearly as implausible. But as like as a character, she's she's sort of the. The foil to Burnham's uh, steadfast jadedness. jadedness. She's almost McCoy mm-hmm. to her 
Spock in Spock. in one sense. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so that she, she she provides some levity to the story, which is often very ponderous and and yeah. uh, and, and full of uh, uh, emotion and and in and, and, and all this intellectual discussion. And she provides this moment of um, innocence. And so she she does play a crucial role in the story to kind of uh, be the be the audience in in one sense the she says mm-hmm. the things that we would say and inc- including sometimes the inappropriate thing you know she talks too much and says too much um, I love it when she her first impulse <clears throat> upon meeting the empress is to salute her yeah. and Burnham <laughs> is like don't do that <laughs> <laughs> exactly uh, she's just a great character because she's so real in that sense um, and uh, it, it, I, I, I do I like Tilly too um, how about Stamets? Now, Stamets goes through a journey in the course of this season. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts off as sort of a stereotypical scientist who jerk. Cares, yeah, scientist jerk. Um, Stargate Atlantis, if you guys have uh, either oh, yes. watched that. Mm-hmm. Um, Rodney oh, McKay, kind of. Rodney McKay was uh, great at that. And he went through a journey in the course of Stargate Atlantis. Never stopped yeah. being completely a jerk, but he got better. Uh, Stamets kind of goes through that journey here. Um, partly because, well, he goes through great tragedy. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, so as yeah. we dis- as we discussed in the first part of the, the first part of the discussion, he's uh, in a homosexual relationship and is married to the doctor who Ash kills, which is a is a big deal that they did this. They killed that character. Yes. Um, also, when he's in the mycelial network, we have two things. And I wanted to point this out because some somebody connected with the show apparently made some kind of comment about is about I, I forget exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines of the writers are not allowed to talk about God. And and this got all kinds of Christian fans upset. And the like, this is some kind of anti anti Christian, anti God show. And the the showrunners were quick to come out and say, no, that is not the case. And here we have the proof of that, because when Stamets is in the mycelial network, number one, we have an explicit consideration of does God exist and the and it's left open. And then not only do we have an am I in the afterlife? So we have an explicit consideration of does the afterlife exist? Not only is it left open, but it's almost implied that the doctor is dead and is still alive in the afterlife and mm-hmm. communicating with Stamets. Right. Yeah, it was uh, the the um, episode. The, the the incident you're referring to is uh, when Jason Isaac, who plays Gabriel Lorca, at one point in recording an episode, um, sort of uh, he, what, what's the term? He, he goes off script. And you know says something, uh, something, something related to still uses the word God, and he said, "Oh no, you can't say that, and you have to take God out of that." And so that was that. That's the story that got out, and that's how people interpreted oh. it as being anti-God. Also, also, uh, and I, I saw this myself in watching an after show. If you go on CBS Access, whatever, they have an after show called After Trek. If you watch the last episode, After Trek, they're talking to uh, Alex Kurtzman and some of the writers about what do you plan to do in the second season? And they say, now that we've had the big war story, we're, we want to look at the intersection of science and spirituality. Ooh, and so apparently this is going to be a big theme next year. Cool. You know, speaking of, uh, you know, we, we, we want to kind of move things along. Uh, I mean, Stamets is an important character. Uh, 
the thing the thing about Stamets though is unlike Rodney McKay, Rodney McKay was a fundamentally entertaining character, even when Correct. he was a jerk. Yeah. And Stamets is not. Stamets no. is boring and bland and a jerk. Yeah. I, I felt like you know, he had that that sort of out of body experience going on that uh, or catatonic experience, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. where he encounters both his uh, mirror universe self and um, his husband and it has this 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 moment where he recovers. Um, and then there's the mirror universe uh, Stamets, who it was actually kind of entertaining in some ways. Um but more entertaining than ours. Right. Yeah. Right. I just felt like you're right. He was a little too one dimensional. Um, I'd like to, I, I'm looking forward to maybe seeing them make him more than just his crankiness yeah. in the in the next season. Yeah. He was when he was actually the most interesting as a character was when he was loopy on on spores. That was <laughs> early on. Some pretty funny yeah. scenes. Yeah. Right. 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 So we didn't talk about Lorca, because then that's that we can't we can't go you know any further without talking about uh, Lorca. Um, as we said, you, you called it. He was the, the mirror universe character. It totally took me took me by surprise. Uh, I never I didn't see it coming that that this was not our prime universe uh, Lorca. That all along it was this guy from the other universe. We don't know how he got there. So that that kind of got no, left no, hanging. They, they, no, they covered that. Oh, really? He was in a he was fleeing in a firefight, and there was and yep. in the middle of transporting in an ion storm. Oh, well, it was a firefight right. with with Michael Burnham, the alternate Michael yeah. Burnham. Oh, okay, she okay, was okay. killed. He wasn't. Well, nobody didn't happen. Nobody, yeah, right? Exactly. So, um, well, that's the other thing is is we don't know what happened to our universes. Uh, Prime Universe's uh, Lorca. Is he out yeah. there still somewhere? Uh, Cornwell surmises that he couldn't survive on his own in the Mirror Universe. Ergo, he's dead, which is just hand waving. Right. If they can, if they, if the actor's schedule will allow it, he's going to be back. Well, well that's, that's assuming that he was transported at the same time. Right. That's what right. I was going to say. You yeah. Know, that was. I mean, they did say that you know the ship that alternate universe Lorca came from was it was destroyed. Immediately after he transported off. Right. That's the reason why he was transporting off is because it was being destroyed. Right. But, but the, wherever he was transporting to is where our Lorca would have appeared. Correct. So if he was beaming down to a planet, then our Lorca would have appeared on that planet. Correct. So, it's, right. yeah, they haven't made it clear either way, though. I mean, it's it's presupposition yep. either way, unfortunately. Right. In other words, the, the, it's wide open. I, 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 very, I found it very interesting how they played that, where... We, for so long, we thought it was our Lorca. He was willing to go undercover with Burnham to get this information from the Emperor, from the Emperor's ship, um, and was willing to endure the agony chamber, which is crazy. In, apparently, he's had some experience with it before. Yeah. Well, yeah. and then I, I really love that scene where, you know, the the this mirror universe guy is trying to get him to say her name, his sister's name, you know, and something our Lorca would never know. Right. Just say mm. her name, say her name. And, you know, and you're thinking, oh, my gosh, this poor Lorca. He can't give her the name. He's he's this guy's going to kill him for it. And then it's then he says the name. You're like, wait, what happened? What yeah. just happened here? By and the way, just, her name was. And yeah. Walks off. yeah. And then you realize. And then he was and, goading him to get him out of the chamber. Exactly. Yep. And then you have the this whole well, that's one of my favorite things is when you have one of these moments, the twist or the turn where the. 
everything opens up because of that, that realization. Um, you know, when the classic version of that for me is the sixth sense, when you at, when you figure when you find out at the end of the sixth sense, what was really happening, uh, you go, you sit there for five minutes and go, oh, yep. <laughs> and everything runs through your mind differently. And that's sort of uh, on one hand how that worked here. Um and then there's that great battle, you know, to take command of the emperor's ship that they that they had back and forth. Um, that was nice. I liked seeing a firefight where it played at, at much more realistic speed. Yes, because in real life, firefights are very intense and very brief. Right. Typically. Yep. Um, and they're not people running around taking an occasional phaser shot at somebody. Right. Right. And and it was to the death. I mean, this was they're the mirror universe, so they're not holding back. No, there's no stun setting on their faces, apparently. No. Um, and and there's this battles right up into the throne room. Um, and so it, I just I really I thought all of that action was really good. I mean, again, Michelle Yeoh at her best, uh, you know, kicking butt uh, with her martial arts and um, really and her good. Feet. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, but but Lorca, um, Jason Isaacs was really good. I really I really enjoyed him, and I hope they they bring Lorca back because it. I, I I liked his in the first half of the season. His is that Starfleet captain with a, a moral flaw, which now mm-hmm. we understand where where that came from. Um, so mm-hmm. I'd, I'd I'd like to see what the real Lorca is like. Yeah, yeah. It said he was a moral flaw. That was a Starfleet captain, but yeah. Yeah. So so I had a couple and I know we're going to need to be wrapping up soon, but I mm-hmm. had a couple of things that I wanted to just say as criticisms. I thought that the second half of the series was a lot more fun than mm-hmm. the first half. I mean, I enjoyed the first half, but I thought the second really clicked. But there were a lot of implausibilities. Uh, you know, I mentioned Captain Killy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're taking all kinds of crazy, insane risk. With uh, the let's go undercover in the mirror universe stuff and get on board the emperor's ship. That I we already mentioned that the nobody knew who the emperor was. That's dumb. Um, they needed to better set up some things. Like there are humans on the Orion colony on Kronos. Um, that wasn't made clear early mm-hmm. enough. Otherwise, like because the audience is left expecting, why aren't they immediately being spotted as spies? Right. Exactly. Um, the um, the the. Th- one of the things that I noticed in the final resolution of the Klingon War is we have something very much like, in a way, one of the flaws in Star Trek, uh, in uh, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Because in Star Wars The Last Jedi, you have this in, in, uh, incredibly lengthy sequence where the rebels are being pursued. And they can't outrun the Empire, and the Empire doesn't jump ahead of them. And nevertheless, the Rebels have time to go on this side journey to another planet and come back. And that's essentially what we've got in that last episode of um, Discovery, where the Klingons are on Earth's doorstep. (laughs) And then action kind of freezes for this side journey to Kronos until that all gets resolved and they haven't made any progress. And that, you know, they, they, they were just hyping the drama too much. They should have fixed that by saying they're getting within a day's journey of Mm. earth or something like that. Not, but not so close as you actually see earth. (laughs) 
Well, right. you know, that's that if you've ever played the Final Fantasy role playing games, that sounds very familiar. Oh, we've got to go do this. Oh, but first we got to run over and do this little adventure and then we got to go do this. And we got, you know, so. <laughs> right, right. No, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, you could hand wave a little bit on that and just say, well, what they just showed things out of order, you know, that the them showing up outside the orbit of Jupiter. Yeah, that's sloppy. It is sloppy. Um, also, also, we've got this dramatic speech by Michael Burnham there at the end. Why is why is the science officer giving this dramatic speech as the mm-hmm. keynote speaker in front of all of um, it, uh, it's well, a minor point? In, but in one sense, you know. it's because she's the architect of the solution. You know, she's the one who came okay, up with it, well. and 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 it gives her that redemption. I mean, she started the yeah. war; she ended the war. I'm not sure yeah. that that, that that one I saw. I didn't have quite as big an issue with, just because. Yeah, but. I just thought it's implausible. I could accept it on an emotional level, but it didn't seem to make sense in terms of real world logic. Right. What do we think about the the solution to the Klingon War? Which was so the 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 problem with the Klingon War was that it was from the Klingon perspective, from Takuvma's perspective, it was about uniting the houses. And what eventually started yeah. happening is is that they had divided uh, and were attacking on their own and were not united. And so they set up Laurel to unite the houses with this weapon of mass Doomsday destruction. Device, yeah. Right. Like, what are you going to do? Press the button and kill everyone? Like, I, it was a very uh, all odd. All I can say is that made, uh, my opinion was that made her the biggest target on all of Konos. Well, certainly yeah. the, the trigger is. <laughs> and, and, and it also suffers from a co- another common Star Trek problem, which is the Klingon Empire is not one planet. Just as the Federation right. is not yeah. Earth, but they make it all about this one place. And well, still, if you if someone had hidden an antimatter bomb in a national capital here on Earth, yeah, it would have a deterrent effect on on other people exactly. in that nation. Okay. So you just scale that up to galactic, and it right. the logic applies. I suppose. Yes. Okay. Um, but but she's the critical point of failure. So. <laughs> but yeah, it's, still, exactly. it's it's not it's something that would make the uh, Vulc- uh, the sorry the uh, Vulcans J.J. Uh, Abrams flashback. It would not make the Klingons extinct certainly, uh, right? Because there's so many of them on other planets apparently. Um, so that brings us to the end of the f- of that the that last episode of the season uh, to the oh, big oh, reveal. One, one last one last Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay, you both. We got a couple, couple. I, I okay, just, I got yeah. one last real quick little thing. Okay, kind of an interesting note. There is one actor who was both in the original series and Discovery. Oh yeah, he the was in DS Nine. He was in DS Nine and Enterprise as well. His name is Clint Howard, brother oh, of yeah. Ron Howard. Right. He was Baylock in the original series. Cor- 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 ah, Corbor- ah, the Corbomite maneuver. Corbomite maneuver. Corbomite maneuver. <laughs> He was in DS9. He was a homeless person. He was a Frank, Frankie in Enterprise, and he was the creepy Orion that was trying to steal from, <laughs> from, from Tilly. Tilly. That's right. Yeah. He was the baby in Corbomite Maneuver, the, the yep. little kid. Oh, my gosh, the creepy kid who was not yep. a special effect, but was just Clint Howard. <laughs> yep, yeah, exactly. Also, also, and who hated the apricot juice they made him drink. So his dad, <laughs> Rance Howard, told him, suck it up and drink the apricot juice. That's, um, <laughs> that's what the Tranya was. Um, <laughs> other other thing, um, the whole idea of Ash Tyler going off with Laurel at the end, massively bad idea for multiple reasons, including he's not going to be the cute you know, dog on water skis for very long as her uh, her assistant or whatever he is. 
and 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 even the writers in After Trek acknowledged in season two he's going to be having cause to to reconsider how wise the decision to go with Laurel was. Interesting, right? Um, uh, by uh, by the way, uh, just to kind of close the loop, there's he was had a fourth role. In uh, Enterprise. Oh, well, that was the one you were mentioning, uh, Father. There is the Fringy, yeah. Yeah, the Fringy. Okay, so. Um, but you're right, Jimmy. The the sending Tyler off with Laurel is a guy who's, like you said, he's still not got his brain back in order. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so. Yeah, really on the writing level, this is a way of moving him away from Michael for a time. Right. Um, and it's 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 not a good one. Because it's just too stupid to go off with Lorel when you're a human and you've got this fractured identity that you're still finding your way. So, um, okay, so now we can get to the the final bit of fan service in that <laughs> that first episode. Or I mean, the last episode of the season, uh, the the Enterprise showing up. So the yep. the Discovery is on its way to Vulcan, taking Sarek home to and to pick up their captain, and they get a distress call, and the Enterprise warps in. Um, captain by Robert April, uh, not uh, Captain Pike. Oh, was it Captain Pike? I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, I, oh, I was reading something else that had it's Captain. Uh, captain Pike with which will have not his first officer but a science officer Spock on it. So mm-hmm. it's undoubtedly how we're going to get that Spock encounter. That's my thought. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, um, yeah. Only we. I don't. Based on what the showrunners have said, I don't know that we're going to get that immediately. Uh, um, my suspicion is, and based on what they said in After Trek, is they're going to be stretching that out. And how much, if any, we actually see of the interior of the Enterprise and who we see mm-hmm. is something we shouldn't make any assumptions about. Well, they they have said they are going to try to get the look and feel similar. Yeah, you know, but not and that's kind of what I, that's kind of what I expected. I expected that it would be, you know, similar colors, similar design, but updated to match yeah. kind of what they've and, done so far. This is what I'm really looking forward prob- to. I want to see what also, they do. Sorry. Yeah. Um, one thing they they cast out on is seeing the bridge, um, but they they may they indicated they may show us some other parts. I would suspect it. it one of the differences or some of the differences it may be that it may look somewhat more like the original pilot, the cage, mm-hmm. because that's closer in time period. And the mm-hmm. fact that this is set 10 years before Kirk's Enterprise gives them some additional liberty to play with right. the interior design. Well, and the thing to recognize, too, is at the time of Kirk, the Enterprise was not a brand new ship. It was not the state of the art ship. It was at you know and- 20 years old, at least. And it had already gone through some renovations and stuff. Exactly. So if we do see Spock, um, what do you think of the odds that it will be played by Zach Quinto, who plays Spock? That would Spock? be the obvious choice. Yeah, in the in the J.J. Abrams um, Star Trek. I, I'm willing to be a little more pessimistic about that. I'm willing yeah. to bet that, you know, because there has been, when you read some of the interviews, kind of a conscious effort to separate the movies from the series. And I think that would break that. Well, they've I mean, they've could, established this isn't the Kelvin timeline, so you, but you could still bring over the actor. I mean, you could argue he's already been accepted by the audience's right. spot. Alternate. I mean, you could argue alternate universes and that that the Kelvin timeline is actually another alternate universe, and you know whatever. But 
I don't know. <laughs> well, the separation between the movies and the TV series has to do with the separation of rights between Paramount and CBS. Exactly. Um, exactly. But that certainly doesn't preclude uh, actors from playing the same role. I don't think it does, but between them, but I, I, I think Zach Quinto as Spock did a great job in the, in the, in the movies. Point. And I, but it may be a chance for another actor to come in and, and play that role uh, as well. Um, so, um, just to kind of wrap up a little bit to talk about how do you think the cast did the actors and actresses um, playing these roles? Uh, I'm thinking of um, oh, now I have to get my list out of the of the names of the actors and actresses. I only know them by their characters. Um, with Sonequa Martin with Green. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I thought she did. I, I, I thought in, in terms of our main characters, all of, I'm not talking about all the bridge crew, but in terms of the main characters, I thought all of them did really well, with the exception of the guy who plays Stamets, who I just find flat and boring. Right. right. Uh, it's That's Anthony Rapp. Um, yeah. Sonequa Martin-Green, I think she did a good job with um, – she had a t- you know big shoes to fill, to, frankly, to be sort of the lead in a Star Trek who wasn't a captain. Uh, that's, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of expectations placed on her for being a woman and for being African-American and, and, and all of the stuff that, that goes along with that in our current society. I think she did fairly well. I think it was a, a, a good role how, for her. How much, how much does go along with that? I mean, I really don't care what race or gender our main character is. I just have no – I'm not putting any expectations well, on her as, as a result of that. But, the, but the, I think the wider fan base and the wider – viewing well, audience does there there mm. is a kind of a movement at least you know like the united states and europe of that does matter and it does matter you know it, it, we could get into a whole discussion about that that completely separate from this so i think it it does yeah. matter to some people to a, a significant portion of the potential viewing audience it might not to I, us I, in particular but there are those i think that it would well, I mean, maybe, but there. We I mean we've had black captains before. We've had female captains before, right. and main characters on Star Trek before. Well, um, are there are there some sexists and racists out there? Sure, but well, the idea that this is the 1950s well, or 40s well, and that's the dominant thing in our culture is just yeah. nuts. Unfortunately, I've I've seen people posting about how isn't it wonderful that this is the first, you know black female lead and then they of course they go through the you know the list of well let's look at all the the you know important blacks that have had you know important roles like you know ben cisco and you know let's look at right. women like you know janeway and it's like yeah isn't that cute <laughs> right right well i mean so whether we whether we agree with it or not there is there there is expectations that have been placed on it though i think and that's really the the idea mm-hmm. that I, I was sort of trying to convey was is that despite that we we it doesn't really be it wasn't really an issue I don't think um, for the mm-hmm. way they portrayed it they didn't purposely go in a particular direction with any of that um, I, I the the sort of the breakout performances though the unexpected ones Doug Jones is Saru I really liked mm-hmm. I think he did mm-hmm. a lot with that character and Shazad Latif who plays Ash in Valk, um I think he was that effective. yeah, he was at times. I kind of I was a, it was a little too much. Like okay, enough with the crying and the, and the you know that's a, but but he had I a lot his vulnerability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think he 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 had a lot he had to do with that. I mean, there was a lot of complexity in those characters. I think it, it came out pretty well. Um, 
and, and you know, Jason Isaac, like I said, was really good. And I, I like Michelle Yeoh. Um, and uh, Emily Coots is uh, not Emily Coots. Uh, was it Mary Wiseman plays Sylvia Tilly? Mm-hmm. Those are all good. And uh, so overall, I think a pretty good cast. Uh, one thing I'm, I hope they do the next season is they we look a little at the uh, the secondary cast. Um, the helmsman and navigator, yeah. the weapons, and that really cool looking uh, um, uh, cyborg sort of ca- uh, bridge yeah. crew. Uh, Augmented the, person. Yeah. There's, there's some interesting, perhaps, stories that we could get into there. Um, how do you feel about it as a season long arc, uh, as opposed to what we're used to with Star Trek is, is uh, episodic? Effective? Would you, would you prefer more episodes that are standalone? I wouldn't. I love serialized stories. Mm-hmm. And and I'll say this, despite its flaws, it's the best first season of a Star Trek thus far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm on that. I agree 100%. I agree yeah. 100%. And, you know, and, you know, if you go back and listen to the first podcast, I was death on this series when it first started. The first couple <laughs> of first couple of episodes when they first came out, I'm like, this is awful. Right. But it really improved quickly and then the second half really did that but i, I like the idea of the 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 serialized arc um it might have you know something they might want to explore if they do decide to go for a little bit longer seasons is maybe have a one-off episode and, and they, they've they've said they plan on doing a little more self-contained stuff like in this season when they went to the blue crystal planet right, right. that was more of a one-off um you know, speaking of that best for a season, I mean, this is where I have a personal rule of six, I call it, um, which is based on the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. If I'm interested in a TV series, I will give the based on the 26 or 24 episode standard season, I right. will I will grant you the first six episodes to get good. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, that, after that, you, if you've not gotten good, I'm, I'm done with you. But well, if you so promise, I will I'll stick with you. Yeah. And that's where you that's where I try to. You don't even have a chance to grow a beard by that point. I mean, that's that's the opposite of jumping the shark. If you look yeah. at TV tropes, the opposite of jumping the shark is growing the beard because of Star Trek Next Gen gets good after Riker grows the beard. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It showed promise but, uh, after six. Go ahead. Yeah, but, uh, you know, that's well, that's what I, you know, in the after the, the, you know, the trailer or the initial episode and then the first episode online, I said, OK, I'm going to give them a month. Actually, it was actually the, the first aired episode. I said, OK. I'm going to pay for one month of CBS All Access. Right. I'm going to give them that one month. And by the end of the fifth episode, I said, okay, this is there's enough here to want to continue with it. That I'm was about I, did. The, I really the same am glad length. I did. Yeah, yeah. And that would be about the same comparison, six episodes of a 24-episode season. Uh, so, And I've, I've, I've applied that rule for multiple series like Fringe and others, and, and it, it, it generally pays off. So, but when you say, yeah, the first, the first season is not all is never the best, except in this case, uh, they did a really good job. So, uh, looking forward to the next season, which is coming. They've, they've announced the next season of secret of, uh, of right. Star Trek discovery. Um, and it undoubtedly, does, yep. It does sound like it's going to be 2019. So it won't be anytime yeah. this year. Yeah, I'm. I'm not surprised. Given how long it took them to get this season uh, completed, uh, uh, I'm not surprised it might take them till next season. And that's just the way TV productions are starting to go these days. They take longer and longer uh, in the gap. So uh, that's that's okay. Uh, there's plenty to watch in the meantime, and we'll be watching it uh, in the secrets of movies and TV shows. Um, 
and undoubtedly we'll be talking about Star Trek again uh, on uh, SQPN um, in in this uh, series, but uh, maybe also in other other places as well. So just keep an eye out. Um, so that's it from us. Uh, what did you think of Star Trek Discovery? Did you did you have the same feeling about the second half of the season as we did? Do you disagree with us? Do you agree with us? If you disagree with us, I, I, I hope I hope you write to us. Send us some voice feedback. Uh, like record a message on your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, go visit us at sqpn.com or go to the SQPN Facebook page. Leave us some feedback. Uh, email us some feedback. Um, I need to set up a new email address for, for this show, but you can send it to our, our, our uh, Doctor Who, uh, Secrets of Doctor Who email address right now, because now that I think about it, uh, Doctor Who at sqpn.com. That, all three of us get that. Uh, and we can look at that. So, but send us some feedback, especially if it's audio. And I love to have audio feedback that we can play. Um, you can find links to all our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. Uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed to ensure you receive all future installments of the Secrets of series, including our upcoming look at Star Trek The Last Jedi. That's right. We're still got plans to do that it's not too late um we've had time to sit up on it and think about it and digest it and really get into the depths of it as you heard uh, jimmy reference there uh, you've got a little preview of what he's going to say about it um but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna record our our discussion in time for the blu-ray release which looks like it's going to happen next month in uh, march of 2018 if you're not listening to this as it comes out until then jimmy aiken thank you for sharing in the secrets of star trek discovery Thanks, Dom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, live long and prosper. Prosper.